And welcome to the Answering Religious Era show. My name is Brian Garlock. So glad to have you tuning in today. If you take a moment and share this video, we appreciate it. And this is our live Bible Q&A. My uh, producer is not with us right now, so I'm going to run all these buttons as we're waiting on him. But this is the live Bible Q&A. We are live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, where we take your Bible questions, we answer them live. You can email us right now, questions at answeringreligiousera.com or private message us on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash answeringreligiousera or questions at answeringreligiousera.com is the email. If you'll email us right now, we'll do our very best to get to you as we do try to take all live questions uh, during the show. If you do comment on a video that's shared, we appreciate that, but we might not see it um, if we have a lot of shares that go out for these videos. And so if you want to make sure that we see your question, email us or private message us on our Facebook page. We also have the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan. He is on the show today, so we appreciate everything he does for that. But that is Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern Time. That is our newest show uh, that we are currently doing. It is uh, just a great way to start the day. Uh, Mark will encourage you to be faithful to the Lord, and he will challenge you uh, to grow and to increase in knowledge and to uh, change your ways to make sure that your that your mind is taken captive to obey Christ and Him alone. And so, uh, check out the Daily Answer podcast Monday through Friday, five a.m. Eastern time, while you're getting ready. Because hey. You've got questions, and Mark Dunnigan has the daily answer. So check that out. Again, this is our live Bible Q&A. So if you have a Bible question, talk to us now. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's bring up the panel. Guys, how are you all doing today? Doing great. Yeah. Good deal. We got Jared and Nick underneath me filling in today, so appreciate them being on the show. And then the regular guys, Brian, Mark, and Terry, appreciate you all as well. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, then we will get started. Uh, Jared, do you mind leading us in that? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful to thee for this day. We're so thankful that we have this avenue by which we can teach, by which we can learn thy word, which we can study and grow. I pray that, that uh, as we study today, that much and everlasting good will come from it, and pray it will be helpful to those who are listening, and that we might be able to show folks the answer, your answer, to man's problems. We're so thankful for Jesus and his great sacrifice and for thy love and for salvation. And as you please be with us as we continue in this study at this time, as this all name son, thy son Jesus. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that. All right. This is our live Bible Q&A. Sending your questions now. Questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us. But first, it is meme time. Oops, we're having some technical difficulties there. Let's go with the meme here. Um, the meme is, if you're not added to the Lord's Church of Christ, one cup communion assembly universally, you will not get into heaven. We've seen this uh, floating around on social media at least twice. I have. Uh, so I wanted us to uh, answer this meme. I love the little picture at the very end, the very bottom here that seems to have nothing whatsoever to do uh, with the words on the meme. Uh, this guy just or this girl having uh, her arm on the shoulder of this guy as, as if they're buddies or something. But again, the meme says, if you're not added to the Lord's church of Christ, one cup communion assembly universally, you will not get into heaven. And this is a packed out meme. So there's a lot to cover here, but uh, Terry Benton, let's start with you. I'm going to put you on the spot. What you got for me? Well, first of all, it, it is true that you are added to the Lord's church. Acts chapter two, those that obeyed the gospel, 
uh, were added to the church daily, such as were being saved. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he calls this the general assembly. Uh, now, there is something denominational about this particular meme, calling it a one cup communion assembly universally. Uh, we, we assemble spiritually in the spiritual body of Christ, but we assemble locally and each local church has their own containers that they use to distribute the Lord's Supper. So I, I see Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, uh, the, the, the cup which we bless. And he's writing from Ephesus to the Corinthians, but he's admitting that there is the cup that we bless. All of us bless the same cup. Well, we don't uh, bless the same container in every assembly, but we do bless the same cup, which is the content that is the fruit of the vine. So every, every congregation is, uh, is a church that belongs to Christ if it's trying to follow what Jesus says. And every church communes in, uh, in an assembly and we share the fruit of the vine. That's the cup. It's not the container. It's the cup. It's the content that we're talking about. And I think it would be true that if you don't do that, then that's an indication that you're not in Christ. You're not doing the things that Christ desires. And therefore, you won't go to heaven. So there's a lot of truth in the statement. But I think he's trying to imply that every local church is supposed to have one container. I think that's the implication because they emphasize that over and over everywhere I've ever, ever heard uh, this, this point made. It's always about a, a one container uh, assembly uh, for each congregation. And so that every mouth has got to touch their lips to the same container. And that is something the Bible does not teach. In fact, it seems to me, if you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 17, that there Jesus says, take this and divide it among yourselves. What are we taking? What are we dividing? How are we dividing it among ourselves? Well, they divided it apparently by pouring it into individual containers. That's the way they dispersed it and divided it out. So dividing the cup is essential to dispersing it to the number of people in that assembly. In that case, there were 12 disciples gathered with Jesus and they took what Jesus was distributing, wanted distributing, and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. He's not talking about the container is my blood. He's talking about the content is my blood of the New Testament divided among yourselves. Well, that implies that you can choose how you want to divide it. And individual communion cups is a good way to make that happen. So uh, I think it's if that's what he's implying in this meme, that you each congregation has to have one container and only use one container the entire thing and never divide 
that container, then I think that he's uh, severely uh, mistaken. Hey, appreciate that. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, one of our golden rules is not to uh, uh, repeat what the guy before him said. Uh, I'm going to come pretty close to doing that. Uh, Terry, you covered it really well. Let me just kind of restate, too, that the important idea here is that there is a, a group of people who believe that when it comes to taking the Lord's Supper, that uh, one of the important characteristics of the Lord's Supper, which, which typically we say there are three, the day we take it on, the people we take it with, and the emblems we use. And they have misidentified the emblems. And that is actually the key to understanding the distinction that is trying to be made here, that they've misidentified the emblems that Jesus gave us in order to observe the Lord's Supper. He gave us unleavened bread, and he gave us uh, the fruit of the vine. Now, they have misidentified that, and they have identified instead the cup or a cup and a single loaf of bread. Um, so first of all, they're not, they're not accurately interpreting the scriptures or understanding the scriptures in order to understand the emblems that are there. But secondly, they're also misunderstanding or misapplying the necessary inference behind the idea of how would you serve a great multitude of people? We know that in the church in Jerusalem, there were thousands of members after the day of Pentecost. Uh, is it is it plausible, possible, uh, in any way inferred that a single loaf of bread was able to serve all of those people or that a single cup was used? And of course the answer is no. Uh, so what we have here is unfortunately a lack or a, a rather not well thought out understanding of scriptures that has led to, in this case, um, an idea that that has become, um, well, has become a, a teaching of error. And it's important for us to understand that uh, we can all understand the scripture alike. And if we commit ourselves to very simple practices of understanding, we'll come to the same conclusion on this. Appreciate it. Jared, what you got? One thing you need to think about is the fact that, and Brian touched on this minute ago, but uh, when it comes to the folks that, that take this, Ronnie Wade and some others, what they do, they say, well, in Acts chapter 2, you had you know 3,000 plus, and then Acts 4, 5,000 plus. They say, well, they just broke off into smaller groups anyway. And so that's their answer to it. That's how we end up getting uh, folks out there like that is because uh, we get, get people covered because we got smaller groups. Um, it, it's interesting to read this, the One Cup Communion Assembly. Because really, Matthew 26, which hadn't been covered yet, but Matthew 26, 26 to 28, when Jesus touches on this, he says that he, in verse 27, took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to them and said, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. What's the connection? The connection is not with a container at all. Container is not liquid. He says here, this is my blood. Whatever this cup is is supposed to remind us of his blood. Whatever this cup is is supposed to be, uh, you know, assimilated, drank, if that's proper English. Whatever this cup is was something that they were all supposed to have. And so in a very real sense, uh, this statement is true because the Lord's church uh, just has the one cup, just has the fruit of the vine. That's the cup. And so in a very real sense, yes, that's Acts 2.47. When you properly understand what a cup is, this cup here is the fruit of the vine. So uh, I'll throw that in the mix too. And uh, back to you, Brian. 
Hey, thank you. Uh, Mark, do you have a comment? Yeah, just one thought here on the meme. It's just like they put a lot of stuff in here, and I'm not sure if they truly... So you've got a one-cup communion. Okay, understand that. An assembly, right? That's where you meet to do it. Universally. <laughs> now, good luck on that one. Because it seems like to me, if you're really going to take the meme at face value, then you must be part of, then you must meet with the universal church and all partake of, at the, and, and no one does that. In fact, that's impossible to do that. So that's my thought, Brian. I, I think they need to get rid of at least the word universally out of that. That creates a problem. Right. Absolutely. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, for those who may have more questions on that, please email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. We'll do our best to clarify anything that uh, maybe you didn't understand, or maybe you have a meme that you see floating around on social media. It could be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, doesn't matter. If you see something that is floating around and uh, perhaps uh, causes you doubt in your faith, or you have questions about, or you're not sure how to answer, please email us and we'll do our best to tackle that on meantime. All right. Our very first question of the day. Jesus Christ in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John used interchangeably the expression kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Are these two things the same or are they different? Appreciate the, the question there. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. See what you got. Well, when I look at these phrases, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, I usually uh, lump them together as the same thing, though I can see there is going to be a distinction. We know that the kingdom was present. Uh, back in the first century, Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, that there are those that were standing there that day that would not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. So we know the kingdom uh, was going to arrive there in the first century. And of course, I believe that to be the church uh, that was established there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And, and then, of course, uh, so you've got the kingdom of God on earth, which I would say is the church. Uh, but the kingdom overall, which also includes that realm of heaven, uh, is, is also going to be included in that. And we won't be able to see that part until the resurrection. And, and Brian, good, good thought, Nick. Brian, you see that in the Gospels. You see that in Matthew early on because Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist shows up and says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark calls it the kingdom of God. And I think we know what that is. That is the kingdom promised by the prophets. And has also is called the household of God. It is the temple of God. It's also called the church. It's the assembly. And it's the bride of Christ. But then if we go into Matthew chapter 5, it will talk about people being persecuted. Um, and it says there's just the kingdom of heaven. And, and so there's a future sense as well. And so I think Nick makes a good point is that there is when I'm baptized in the Christ, I'm added to the kingdom. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. But this kingdom also has a future destiny. This kingdom also, you might say, includes people that are alive here and people that have gone on to the reward as well. The New Testament will also speak of if you practice such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's, again, pointing out like what we would typically talk about heaven. But to me, the idea is if we're talking about the kingdom of God here, we're talking about the people who have submitted to the rule of Jesus Christ. And those are the people that have obeyed the gospel, have been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Those are the people that the Lord adds to his body. So those are my thoughts, Brian. Appreciate that. Yeah, I like to refer to it as the reign of God. 
God reigns. He's here. He's reigning. He's king. All right. Anyone else on that? I think it was covered well. Yeah, I just I just add, add a little bit here. Kingdom of heaven tells you where it's from, as opposed to it being another one of the earthly kingdoms. It's from heaven. Uh, kingdom of God tells you who it's from. It's not from men. It's from God. And so those two are used interchangeably. And sometimes in a different context, you can be talking about its future destiny. Whereas we have we, the kingdom, those who are now in the kingdom of heaven have a future eternal aspect of living future uh, tense in, a, in an immortal body uh, in that kingdom with God in heaven. So it just tells us where it's from and who it's from, but both of them talking about the same thing. I appreciate that. All right, next question we have today. Uh, is there any authority for use for us, excuse me, to use hand motions to accompany children's songs, such as those used in BBS and children's classes? Um, I assume uh, the questioner is talking like when you're doing that, uh, what's that song you're building on the, oh, what's it? My mind's went blank. Somebody. Wise man out. built his house on the road. Yeah, wise man built, there we go. And I, I assume that's what he's talking about is doing the, the hand motions. Uh, that's a good question. What you, what you think there, Jared? What you got? Well, whenever you're talking about children and he's talking about children's songs and things and and is there any authority? I think there's as much authority for that as there's authority for songbooks or that there's authority for a pitch pipe or there's authority for a PowerPoint slide that has the words on it. It's from the general or generic authority side uh, with with little children, especially if you can say the wise man built his house on the rock or or if you can do things like this, which kind of uh, solidify in their minds the songs, it's it's like a teaching tool. It's, it's another teaching tool. And so so long as it's used within that realm, then, uh, you know, like I said, like a songbook or, uh, you know, or a PowerPoint or something else, it is just a um, expedient way of teaching a song, helping them understand uh, you know, there again, if you have the singing and you have maybe some motion with it, uh, it's muscle memory. Yeah, we just were reminded, oh, yes, you're building something. You know, we're building up the temple of the Lord. And it's so high and it's so low and all this kind of thing. Well, those are just that that helps the younger ones learn. And so I think we need to take advantage of that when you can. I think it's helpful for that type of a, of age and for that type of uh you know, a, a stage of life then. Maybe we need hand motions in sermons to help people learn. <laughs> I know I have hand motions in my sermon. I say, hey, you. <laughs> All right. Anyone else on that? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Along that line, I was thinking of the word expediency. There is uh, expediency in doing certain things for children that you wouldn't do for adults because it's not expedient for adults. But uh, Paul makes the uh, makes the point when I became a man, I put away childish things. So there are things that relate to childhood that you can better relate to them. But I don't, I don't need this as an adult. You know, I, I don't need all of those symbols as an adult. Uh, the children uh, can learn that way and that may be expedient for them, but it's not expedient all the way through adulthood too. You know, on a separate though related uh, point on this. Uh, I think it was Linsky, the commentator, uh, commentator that said uh, the law of Moses was the ABC and one, two, threes. 
that leads us to Christ. And, and once you get to Christ, you put away the ABCs and one, two, threes. And uh, I, I really like that, um, especially like the physical nature of, of the of the law and such. And so that kind of makes me think about about this, what you're talking about. Um, Mark, did you have something? Is, is Bella, is he is she helping you answer the questions when you don't know? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. She, 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 uh, she says, Oh, first Peter three twenty one, Mark and so, or dad. So yeah. Um, I have a couple thoughts on this. What you guys have said is true is that the hand gestures are there to help with memory, help the kids memorize the song and you know, the more things you do and et cetera. But I, I would like to, and I have really helped no problems with them, but I was in an event uh, recently, Brian, where, the kids were up there and it was kind of a concert and the kids were doing hand gestures. And uh, there was a boy up there I knew and he had his hands in his pockets and he was smiling and watching all the other boys do the hand gestures, but there's no way he was going to do a hand gesture. And I, I appreciate all the teachers out there that put so much work into our Bible classes, especially for the young kids. But maybe just a heads up to the Bible teachers out there from the standpoint of a male from someone who is a man and once was a boy to a lot of boys, we don't really get hand gestures. <laughs> okay. Okay. They, they don't, they don't fit. And I don't know if there's a way that if you got boys in your class, get them involved in things like you're going to hand out the materials, you're going to lead in some capacity, but just a heads up to the, the well-meaning, the well-meaning Bible teachers out there, there's just a lot of boys out there that it's like, you know what? I don't do hand gestures. <laughs> so th those are just my Amen. thoughts. I don't Amen. know if there's another way that you could have something a little bit more masculine for the young boys to do. I feel you on that one. Uh, Nick, did you have something? Uh, you know, symbols are used throughout the Bible. Chris Kramer just shared with me uh, Ezekiel using a model of the city, other things like that. So symbols have been used by God to help illustrate a point. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I caution, you know, the, you know, heavy use of, of dancing or symbols or hand gestures, because, you know, wh where's the line that crosses over into entertainment? And, and we don't want to set a poor precedence that we must be entertained and for our worship to be relevant to us. Um, so kids, you know, I'm not going to say kids can't do it or shouldn't do it, but as adults, we, we do need to put some thought into it and be careful about, you know, what precedents are we setting or what are we establishing uh, for the necessities for worship and kids to be, uh, keep their minds on track of things. All right. Appreciate the, those thoughts there. All right. Uh, we got a live comment here that I want to deal with uh, from Ken Wade. Um, who says, and I assume he, he's referring back to the first question on the kingdom. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure there, but um, baptized into Christ, if you study that out, means born again and not into water. I assume, Ken, correct me if I'm wrong, that you are denying the necessity of baptism. Um, and so we want to comment on that. Uh, Terry, what you got for me? Well, when you're talking about born of the water and of the spirit, John 3, verse 3 through 5. You are uh, born from that. That is, you come from the water. We come up out of the water and we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. You don't take the water out of the equation. Jesus put it in the equation. He says, go make disciples. How you make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You, you make a disciple. How? Baptizing them in the name. 
you're not a disciple if you haven't been baptized into the body of Christ. Now, Paul says it's, it's like this, Romans, Romans chapter 6, 3 through 6, says you were buried with him in baptism and you are raised to walk in newness of life. You come forth from the grave, that water, watery grave you were taken down into, you come out of it. You're born out of that water. You come up out of the water, but there's something spiritually going on in the heart because your belief in Jesus Christ led you to the water. Why? Why lead you? Because that's what Jesus said. So I, I'm, I'm doing it only because Jesus said to, and I'm doing it by his authority. And his authority says, you do this, you'll get remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. So God gives the gifts when he says he's going to give them, and he told us to do this. So you're baptized into union with Christ. Going back to Romans 6, you're buried with him. You're united together with him. That's when you get together when you are a part of one another is when your sins are gone at the moment of baptism and at the moment of baptism you rise to walk in newness of life now we're united together with christ in baptism so baptism into christ is not a separate and apart from water baptism it's it's together in that act and that's how you're born of the water and of the spirit. You know, it's interesting. Uh, how did the apostles interpret the new birth of John 3, 5? Uh, how, do, how did the New Testament Christians interpret that? In Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip is preaching Jesus to the eunuch, Acts 8. And then it says, the, the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip did not correct him. He said, rather, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And they both went down to the water and he baptized him. So, Ken, Ken, we're assuming that your question, we're assuming in your question, you're saying that water has nothing to do with the baptism that's mentioned in the Great hey, Mark, Commission. Yes. Uh, he says here as a follow up, no, I believe in water baptism. I've been baptized and I also believe you go to heaven after you ask Jesus to save you. Hmm. So that baptism is not essential for salvation. That's what I, I assume that's what he's saying, yes. Okay. The thing with that is I always find baptism before salvation uh, in the equations, like Mark 16. 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Or Acts 22, 16, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And that said to a man who was very humble, repentant, had been praying, and definitely believed in Jesus. Those are my yeah, thoughts. And you ask Jesus to save you in baptism. I mean, Acts 20, chapter 22, verse 16, that you just said, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You're, you're calling on Jesus to save you, to wash away your sins. You're calling on the Lord to give you a good conscience, a good clean conscience, 1 Peter 3, 21. So um, Brian, that's asking an, Jesus to save you is in the baptism. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Calling upon the name of the Lord. Uh, and, and it's trusting God's way of saving you. God says, here's the way I'm going to save you. And what you are doing is trusting God doing that when you obey him. And jumping in John 3, 5 real quick. Whenever Jesus said, be born again, 
Nicodemus didn't understand, said, can I be born from my mother? He said, except you be born off water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. To be born again means being born of water and the spirit. To be born of water and the spirit is to be born again. It's the same thing. It's not two separate things. It's the same thing. So whenever Ken says something about leaving the water out of it, then he separated what Jesus didn't separate in John 3, 5. Because water and the spirit go together to be born again. It works both ways. So, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see that again in Acts 2. When these people ask, what shall we do? Were they born again already? No, they're, they're asking what to do. And then Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And it, then it says, those that gladly received his word were baptized. And then the celebration starts. When does the celebration start? Well, it's like the Ethiopian eunuch comes out, out, goes on his way rejoicing. Why? Because Jesus united with them and cut away their sins at that moment. That's when they called for his, his aid uh, and were baptized in his name. So that you don't separate it out. You put it together like, like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, we just got a follow up from Ken. Uh, so what would happen if someone asked Jesus to save them and they passed uh, before they got baptized? Um, what would what would happen if they passed before they asked Jesus to save them or if they passed before they believed in Jesus or if they passed before the preacher got to them to teach them about Jesus? I mean, you just keep moving the marker here. Um, your argument falls apart. Brian, what you got? couple of things. First of all, let's let's remind everybody that every man here hasn't spoken their opinion. Uh, we're actually just quoting the Bible here. The Bible is what says, 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you. We're not saying baptism saves you. The Bible is saying it. Acts 22.16, these are the verses these men have pointed to. Acts 22.16 says, baptism is calling on the name of the Lord. Um, it's not, this isn't a doctrine of men. Uh, and it's important to understand that because a lot of times when people make the decision, well, all I have to do is ask Jesus. Well, if the Bible doesn't say that, men said that. Um, what do we call an organization when somebody follows the teachings of a man so strictly that they ignore everything else? Well, we call it a cult. We could talk about like the cult of Calvinism or, you know, the cult of Protestantism, cults where people say, hey, I don't care what the Bible says. The Bible may say he that believes in his baptized will be saved, but my leader doesn't say that. Well, that's dangerous, isn't it? When somebody rejects what the word of God says for the teachings of man. I want to make a point out of Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four says that now there is but one baptism. Um, you know, before the New Testament or at the time of the New Testament, we had the baptism of John. Jesus pro promised a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have a baptism of water. Which one of those three baptisms remain? Well, we know the baptism of John, Acts chapter, uh, uh, Acts chapter 19 tells us the baptism of John is no longer effective. Baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, I know that's what a lot of people claim, but find one reference to that uh, after Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says, hey, I'm about to bring you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you know what's funny? We can find the baptism of water long after Acts chapter 1. We can find it all throughout the New Testament. We, we see, we've already mentioned the Ethiopian eunuch going into the water and being baptized in the water. So when Paul says there's only one baptism today, what's he talking about? He's not talking about a baptism of John. He's not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is talking about the baptism into Christ, 
which is the baptism of water. And the point is, as, as we have said, it's not us that says this. This is simply what the Bible says. And looking to, to human teachers that say, oh, no, 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 you don't have to be baptized. Well, who am I going to trust, the word of God or the teachings of men? Brian, there's also an observation there. I think Kenneth talked about it. It was like three weeks before he was saved. And I guess I would say, are you saying it, it took you three weeks to get baptized? And it's like, why? I mean, in the New Testament, the moment people realized that they needed to be saved, they were they were baptized that very hour. Acts 2.38, Acts chapter 8, verse 37, uh, Acts chapter 22, verse 16, why do you tarry? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Why did it take three weeks? And so maybe it's like, maybe look for maybe look for a church that doesn't put baptisms and delay them off to say, this is when we do it. Why don't you look for a church that, first of all, teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation, as the New Testament does. And when you're ready, they baptize you that same day, that very hour. Yeah, right. they don't delay it. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, I think about the Philippian jailer who was baptized after midnight. You know, why, if, if baptism is just a sign to let people know, hey, I've already been saved, uh, why not just say, let's do it the next morning? Let's do it on Sunday when we're all assembled together. Uh, no, they did it in the middle of the night. Uh, Nick, did you have a comment? Yeah, I'm trying to get my thoughts together now because so much stuff has happened since I had my comment uh, mulling over my head. Man, as um, a panelist, you have to stay on the ball, man. I guess so. <laughs> well, so going back to the hypothetical that he brought up a minute ago about uh, what if they passed before they got to the baptistry. I had this brought up to me once when I was uh, studying with somebody regarding uh, the necessity of baptism and the urgency of it. And he said, he said, what if they were walking down to the creek at that very moment and, and the tree fell on him or whatever, and he got killed? And I said, well, if we want to throw out hypotheticals, let me throw out one for you. Somebody's never heard of Jesus Christ before. But they keep driving by this church building and they see the people coming out joyful and happy and excited about uh, what they've just learned and experienced in there. And they said, you know what? I want to go in there and see what's making them all so happy. And the moment he steps out of the car, he gets hit by a truck and killed. Uh, you know, it's we can always come up with hypothetical situations to uh, to nullify whatever you know position we want, but that's that's not being honest with the scriptures. And so, you know, when I go to the scriptures, we have to see what has been prescribed for us because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. What has He said, and what has He told us to do? And that's what we have to uh, relegate ourselves to believing and and practicing. And and so, it, it, are there going to be exceptions? Can God save people however he wants to. God is the God of all creation. And if he wants to save somebody a little differently, that's his prerogative. We don't have that. We don't have that privilege because we have, we have what has been prescribed to us here in the scriptures. And if there are going to be exceptions, we cannot create doctrines off of that. That is going to create false hope and, and, and permeate false doctrine out there. And people are going to be lost because of that. Yeah. Don't make exceptions for God says, I don't worry about that. Jesus didn't say, you know, I got this worry. I got this concern. If he's not worrying about it, don't you worry about it. Just do what he says. Yeah. What did, what does, uh, did Jesus authorize? He authorized baptism for remission of sin. So if you're putting it off three weeks, thinking you're already saved, you're not going to be baptized for remission of sins. So you're not being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You're doing it by your own authority. 
So uh, that's the idea, is baptism is for remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. Baptism doth also now save us, 1 Peter 3, 21. So when I'm baptized, I'm not, I'm not going to put it off three weeks because I want to be saved, and I want him to save me, and I'm going to call upon him to save me when I'm baptized. So uh, if, you're, if you're putting it off three weeks thinking you're already saved, you have misunderstood. You've been hearing the wrong message and you need to get that message right. Uh, you, you can hear about a Jesus and get the wrong Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Somebody's preaching another Jesus and not, it's not the same Jesus that said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You're preaching another one. And so you may hear the name of Jesus associated with some teaching, but check it out. Make sure it's the, t the same Jesus that the apostles preached that you have in the New Testament. I appreciate it, Terry. Um, Ken, deal with this last comment, and then we do need to move on. So according to what you're saying, that if I would have died before I got baptized in those three weeks, I would have went to hell. How is a new convert supposed to know they need uh, to be baptized? Uh, well, they're not a new convert until they're baptized, is what, what we would say the Bible says or teaches, um, as well as in the teaching of the gospel, uh, you know, think about Acts chapter eight, when Philip comes to the Ethiopian eunuch and he preaches Jesus to him, the Ethiopian eunuch uh, says, as they're going along in a desert, mind you, um, apparently there's water there. And he says, here's water. What, what hinders me from being baptized? So what's implied strongly necessarily implied from that text is that preaching Jesus includes preaching about baptism because that's where we uh, are reconciled to the father um, through Christ, through his, through his sacrifice. That's where we come in contact with the blood of Jesus. So how is a new convert supposed to know they are, they need bapti baptism? Well, in the preaching of Jesus, number one, and when they become a new convert, it's at the point that conversion takes place at the point of repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So appreciate your commenting. And if you want to um, continue this conversation with us, we would love to do so. You can uh, email us questions at answeringareligiousair.com. Or if you'd like to uh, have a private study with us or come on the show, even we would love to have you come on the show and we can have a, a, a discussion with you live on air. That's up to you. Just let us know. You can also uh, private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answering religious air. And Mark, I know you're itching. Say, say this last thing. And then we got we have questions that people are asking. So, well, Ken, the very passages that would tell you that you need to believe in Jesus to be saved tell you you need to be baptized so i don't understand your question if you read the bible enough to realize you're a sinner and that jesus is the savior and died for your sins you've obviously run across the passages that equally tell you you need to be baptized to be saved yeah yeah jesus says go into all the world proclaim the gospel uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Uh, next question that we have here that we received uh, in John 10, 25 through 27. Um, what is, and my sheep hear my voice. What is, uh, what is the meaning? Can you draw that it means God already has his sheep? How would you explain this is speaking about a type of person and not God already has a specific person going to heaven. I appreciate the uh, question there. In John chapter 10, you have Jesus uh, claiming to be the one shepherd, 
um, who lays down his life for the sheep. And so uh, there are some controversial statements there in John 10. Uh, let's, uh, let's start with you, Brian, what you have. Yeah, you know, it's a really great question. And uh, it kind of infers, the question does, the concept of, of predestination as it's taught. Again, I mentioned the uh, tongue-in-cheek, the cult of Calvinism, but uh, Calvin twisted the meaning of the word predestination that's found in Ephesians, and he took it to mean that God specifically saved some people. That might be what the questioner is asking here when he talks about specific people going to heaven. One of the things we often do is we let scripture interpret scripture. Is it the case that God specifically selects people to go to heaven? Well, the Bible all says very clearly that God desires that all men should be saved, First, uh, First Timothy chapter 2. So we know that that idea of predestination can't be what Jesus is saying. Oftentimes we find a passage, we're not sure about what its meaning is. We first of all say, what is it not saying? Jesus is not saying that there are people that God picks ahead of time. So who are his sheep? And what is his voice? That would answer the question for us. Well, in other places, we're told that those who are Jesus's sheep, uh, his followers, are those who do the will of his father. And that's an important statement, meaning it's, a, it's the things that we're doing in obedience, following the things that God has said, that make us his sheep. We're not his sheep because he says, you're my sheep. We're his sheep because he says, here's my will. And if we do his will, uh, Matthew 12, verse 50 is a great, is one of many examples that tells us that if we do his will, then we are his people. We are his sheep. Um, at the same time, when Jesus talks about his voice, the, it, all throughout the book of John, one of the big ideas is that Jesus is speaking the things that people need to hear and believe. And one of, one of my favorite statements like that is in John chapter six, where Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. So Jesus's voice, his word, which we have today is the New Testament. The apostles were faithful to deliver that to us. So we have Jesus's word. Uh, Jesus's voice is what makes his sheep. Uh, we obey it, we're told. And so the important point is to understand here that what Jesus is describing in in language that might be a little confusing because it's it's very figurative, sheep and shepherd and things like that, is actually exactly what Jesus says everywhere else, that he's telling us what to do to be saved, we need to listen. We need to obey it. And that's what it means to be his sheep and to hear his voice. Whenever you look in John chapter 10, just, just read it real quick. Uh, John answered, I, or Jesus answered and said, I told you, you believe not. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. And he says, but you believe not because you're not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is in a context, of a much larger context here, where people were going against and fighting against Christ, arguing against him and all of this. And so whenever Jesus says, you know, you didn't believe my works, you're not my sheep. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. And it's interesting. Uh, it's one of those things where you kind of dig in, you find that that idea of hearing my voice is really the idea of continue to hear my voice. It's not just they heard something one time and didn't do it anymore. And that's where Calvinism comes in that you're talking about, Brian. But this is not just one thing. This is a continual thing. My sheep continue to hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And so uh, how would I explain this? Uh, he's not talking. I mean, he is talking about a specific person, but not a specific person to say Brian and not Mark and, and, and Nick, but not Terry but it's a specific person who hears and who follows. And again, in the context of John 10 and really back in nine and 10, 
uh, he's dealing with people who weren't listening. And that was the point. You're not listening to me. You're not paying attention to me. You're not my sheep. And so, uh, you know, that's the problem there. And so whenever you become that sheep, that follower, then you're going to listen. You're going to pay attention. Um, this ties in with Psalm 23 so well. And uh, you, you can look back there and see that picture again of a sheep and a shepherd. And you're seeing it again in John chapter 10 in this situation. So that's that's what you have. You, you do have a specific person. It's the specific type of person rather than a named person. Uh, God named one person to be saved and be lost, so forth. Yeah, and another thing along that same line, you're looking at uh, hundreds, thousands of years of Jesus speaking through the voice of the prophets. That's his voice too. And if you've not, if you've not been listening to that with an honest heart, you don't know the voice. You're not familiar with the voice. So once Jesus starts teaching and you didn't make the connection, you're not familiar with his voice. You're not going to put it together that this is the good shepherd. I am Jesus. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that's been leading you along all, all, all along. So if you didn't get it, catch that, then you're not my sheep. And so that's his point. His point is not that uh, Jesus is arbitrarily and comes along, picks this one, and, and this one can't listen, can't even start to listen, uh, and can't be converted. And another thing about the metaphor of sheep, uh, you become a sheep by becoming a listener and then a follower, and that's how you how you get there. But uh, they should have been listening all along to the voice of the prophets and should have become his sheep very easily. But they hardened their heart and they didn't put it together and, re and recognize his voice. Those are great comments, particularly in verse 26. The fact that Jesus condemns the religious leaders for not believing means that they are responsible for that. It doesn't make any sense for God to have predestined them to damnation and say, I'm not going to allow you to believe even if you wanted to, and then nail him for that. They're nailed for that because that's a choice they've made. And then in 27, my sheep hear my voice. And what that means is that they, when, when Jesus speaks, when he was on the earth, or it's recorded in scripture now, John 12, 48, when you read what Jesus says, and if you argue with it, you're not one of his sheep. You're making a choice not to be one of his sheep. And it doesn't matter how you feel. And I know we've had, we've had some comments that we've dealt with here, but if Jesus tells you to do something to be saved and you argue against it, you're saying you don't want to be one of his sheep. And you can come up with all sorts of arguments against what he said, but that... All, that only indicates like I'm not one of his sheep because people that love Christ follow him and, and they defend him and they don't spend their time arguing against the text or, well, this doesn't make sense to me, etc. If you're one of his sheep, you accept what he said. If he's, Jesus would say in the book of Matthew, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet don't do what I say? You can talk all you want. You can feel all you want. But the proof is, have you obeyed what he said? That's when you're one of his sheep. 
Appreciate the comments there. All right, we've got time for one more. Um, next question here is, is it wrong for a woman to speak up slash make an announcement in a Sunday or Wednesday service if the male announcing uh, ask if there are any further announcements? Who wants that one? Brian, I'm, I'm not sure if it's wrong or not. I'm just going to give my... Don't ask for any further announcements, you guys. <laughs> to me, that, that that's like an open mic at a funeral. Okay, that, that and I'm just that's that's my opinion. But I think there's a much better way to do that. I, I like I like one system. If you have elders, the one of the elders gets up and gives the announcements, and then says, if he says anything after that, do the elders have anything else to offer? I like that system, or I like the system. Here are the announcements. You know, if you need to get other announcements for like tonight, go see Joe or whatever. But I, I do not like, I do not like the open-ended because there are going to be certain people, and sometimes it's the wrong people in the audience, that when you give an opening, well, does anyone have any, anything else to say? To me, I don't like that system. Those are Mark, Mark's humble thoughts. That's often what we do is just you have the announcements. They say if there's any other announcements that need to be made, we'll make them at the end of the services or we'll make them tonight or whatever. And then that gives everybody a chance. If somebody needs to make an announcement, we'll get up and make it later or whatever. And and and, and even at this, just to have people popping up saying, hey, what about this? What about what about? Why don't we just have it decently and in order and have one announcer? and be done. And if we need to make another announcement, uh, we'll make it this evening. We'll make it whenever we have email, we have text. It'll all be good. All right. So I appreciate those opinions and I agree with that. But the question is, is it wrong for a woman to speak up slash make an announcement in a Sunday or Wednesday service? If the male announcing ask if there are any further announcements. So I think that um, we're getting right on those thoughts, but is it wrong? We're giving the solution to the problem. <laughs> yeah, but is it wrong? Yeah, don't keep doing it. Yeah, we're, we're giving the answer. Brian, I would say, first of all, it could be. And I think in the question like, well, they, they ask for more or et cetera, a woman could take over the assembly with a wrong attitude. It could be. Anyone else? All right, I guess we're done. Terry, what, you're muted. Did you have something? I can't unmute. <laughs> I, I couldn't make a final announcement there for, for a second. I, I think it's, uh, uh, it's one of those expediency, and is, it, is this expediency, is this helpful? Uh, sometimes you move from an, an area of, of it's helpful to do that to here's something that would be more helpful. And so let's go with the most expedient direction. Um, so I, some questions don't have a clear right, yes or no answer to it because there, there are degrees of expediency that go on in, in a lot of questions. And this may be one of those. All right. Appreciate those uh, comments. All right. That is our Q&A for the day. Uh, if we did not get to your question, we will, Lord willing, next Wednesday at 12 p.m. as we come together to meet. Any last minute comments, guys? Jared, Nick, appreciate you filling in today for those who were out. Thank you very nope. much. Uh, all throughout there, we're always glad when somebody 
doesn't necessarily agree with us. Uh, we're grateful to hear from you. And uh, this is the way everybody comes to a better understanding of things. So we're glad to have that. Absolutely. And if you don't agree with us, let us know. Uh, perhaps uh, we don't have the truth on everything and we need to study the scriptures more and make sure that we rightly divide God's word. And as I said before, we'd love for you to come on the show if you are willing to do so. Or we even have private studies with audience members sometimes. And so if you're not willing to come on live, we will still meet with you as a panel uh, private behind uh behind the scenes and uh, we can set up a time and date for that. Also, if you're watching and you would like to learn more about God's word, then you can uh, reach out to us, email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair and let us know where you live. And uh, if you'd like a Bible study, we can uh, get a hold of you uh, or get a preacher to get a hold of you and uh, at your convenience and uh, location of your choice, uh, that preacher can meet with you and study the word of God and help uh, come to faith in Christ Jesus, where you can find salvation in his name. Uh, we do want to give a quick lineup uh, for the week. We do have on Mondays is Bob's Bible Basics. That is a just a, as the title of the show says, it's a basics of the Bible. Uh, and so Bob, who's normally on the show, he's the, the host of that. And I believe he is starting the book of Revelation. And uh, he'll try to make that as basic as possible. Uh, but that is something that he enjoys teaching. Then on Tuesday nights, now we have our study of Ecclesiastes. We have uh, finished our long series of Keeping My Head On Straight. If you missed that series or missed some of the episodes, we encourage you to go to our YouTube or Facebook channel and uh, see the archived videos on that. But yesterday, or that, as of last night, we started our first chapter in the study of Ecclesiastes. And we will do a chapter a week for 12 weeks if you have any Questions about the Ecclesiastes, email us and we will uh, make sure we kind of work those questions into our uh, Tuesday night studies. It, it is an interactive Bible study, so you can come on, watch, comment and uh, ask questions if you like. And then we would encourage you to read the chapter uh, for that. So next week is going to be chapter two. So go ahead and read that and be prepared to study uh, the book of Ecclesiastes on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can find that on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as on all major podcast platforms immediately after the show airs live. Same thing with our Wednesday uh, Q&A. It goes live every uh, Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as you can listen to us immediately after the show on all major podcast platforms. Just go and type in uh, Answering Religious Air or even The Daily Answer. That's a show Monday through Friday that uh, Mark Dunnigan is the host of. It drops at 5 a.m. Again, that's Monday through Friday, The Daily Answer. That's podcast only. If you do not find that, if you cannot find that podcast, please let us know uh, because we want to make sure it's on every uh, single podcast platform out there so we can get the word out, uh, the word of God out, and uh, we can help bring lost souls to him. But Mark Dunnigan has The Daily Answer for all the questions that you have of life. And then on Thursdays is a show for women by women. It's older women likewise, and they meet every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can find them on YouTube and on Facebook uh, where they stream live video. And then uh, you can catch them on podcast after the show on all major podcast platforms. That's all the time we have for today. We appreciate you tuning in and look forward to answering your questions next Wednesday for our live Bible Q&A. Until then, God bless.